Chapter 13 of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 13 Martin Makes a Business Engagement. Martin was agreeably surprised at the attention paid him by his new friend. There are some who have no difficulty in making friends at first sight, but this had not often happened to him. In fact, there was very little that was attractive or prepossessing about him, and though he could not be expected to be fully aware of that, he had given up expecting much on the score of friendship. Yet here was a stranger who, to Martin's undiscriminating eyes, appeared quite the gentleman who had given him a cigar, paid his dinner bill, and treated him with a degree of attention to which he was unaccustomed. Martin felt that he was in luck, and if there was anything to be made out of his new friend, he was determined to make it. They turned down a side street, perhaps because the stranger's course led that way, perhaps because he was not proud of his new acquaintance. So you've had poor luck, he remarked, by way of starting the conversation. Yes, grumbled Martin. You may say that. Things have been against me. It's a pretty hard rub for a poor man to get a living here. Just so, said the other. What's your business? I'm a carpenter. And you can't find work? No, said Martin. Besides, he added after a pause, my health ain't very good. Hard work don't agree with me. He might have said that hard drinking did not agree with him, and this would have been rather nearer the truth but he was afraid his new friend would offer to find him employment as a carpenter, and for this he was not very anxious. There had been a time when he was content to work early and late for good wages, but he had of late years led such a shiftless and vagabond life that honest industry had no more attraction for him, and he preferred to get his living by hook or crook, in fact, in any way he could, rather than take the most direct path to a good living by working hard for it. What is your name? James Martin. What's yours? Mine, said the stranger, pausing and fixing his eyes thoughtfully upon Martin. Well, you may call me Smith. That ain't a very uncommon name, said Martin, thinking he had perpetrated a good joke. Just so, said the stranger composedly. I've been told so often. Well, Mr. Smith, do you think you could help me to some light business that wouldn't be too hard on my health? Perhaps I might, said the other. What do you think you would like? Why, said Martin, if I had only a little capital, I could set up a small cigar store or maybe a drinking saloon. That would be light and genteel, no doubt, said Smith. But confining, you'd have to be in the store early and late. I might have a boy to stay there when I wanted to go out, suggested Martin. So you might, said the other. There doesn't seem any objection. If only you can raise the capital. This was a rather powerful objection, however, especially as Mr. Smith offered no encouragement about supplying the capital himself. Martin saw this, and he added, I only mention this. I ain't any objection to anything else that's light and easy. Do you think of anything I could do? I may be able to throw something in your way, said Mr. Smith. But first, I must ask you a question. Can you keep a secret? Yes, said Martin. Just as many as you'd like because the business which I have to propose is of a rather confidential character, and a great deal depends on it being kept secret. 
All right, I'm your man, then. When I saw you in the restaurant, said Smith, it struck me that you might answer our purpose. You look as if you could be trusted. So I can be, said Martin, pleased with the compliment. I'll never say a word about the matter. What is it? You shall learn presently, that is, if my partner thinks we better engage you. Where's your place of business? We will go there. Let us jump into this horse car. They reached 8th Avenue and entered a car bound downwards. When the conductor came along, Smith said, I pay for two, indicating Martin. This was fortunate, for Martin's purse was at a low ebb, his entire stock of money being limited to 50 cents. They rode some 15 minutes, at the end of which Smith signaled to the conductor to stop. We get out here, he said to Martin. Martin jumped out after him, and they turned westward down one of the streets, leading to the North River. Is it much farther? asked Martin. Not much. It's rather an out-of-the-way place for business, isn't it? remarked Martin, observing that the street was lined with dwelling houses on either side. For most kinds of business it is, said his new acquaintance, but it suits us. We like a quiet, out-of-the-way place. Are you in the wholesale business? asked Martin, whose curiosity began to be considerably excited. Something of that sort, answered the stranger. Ah, here we are. The house before which he stopped was a brick dwelling house of three stories. The blinds were closed, and it might have been readily supposed that no one lived there. Certainly nothing could have looked less like a place of business, so far as outward appearance went, and Martin, whose perceptions were not very acute, saw this and was puzzled. Still, his companion spoke so quietly and composedly, and seemed to understand himself so well, that he did not make any remark. Instead of pulling the bell, Mr. Smith drew a latch-key from his pocket and admitted himself. Come in, Mr. Martin, he said. Martin stepped into the entry and the door was closed. Before him was a narrow staircase with a faded stair carpet upon it. A door was partly open into the room on the right, but still there was nothing visible that looked like business. Follow me, said Smith, leading the way upstairs. Martin followed, his curiosity, if anything, greater than before. They went into a front room on the second floor. Excuse me a moment, said Smith. Martin was left alone, but in two minutes, Smith returned with a tall, powerful-looking man, whose height was such that he narrowly escaped being a giant. Mr. Martin, said Smith, this is my partner, Mr. Hayes. Proud to make your acquaintance, I am sure, Mr. Hayes, said Martin affably. I met your partner this morning at an Eaton house, and he said you might have a job for me. My health ain't very good, but I could do light work well enough. Did you tell Mr. Martin, said the giant in a hoarse voice that sounded as if he had a cold of several years standing, that our business is of a confidential nature? Yes, said Martin. I understand that. I can keep a secret. It is absolutely necessary that you should, said Hayes. You say you can, but how can I be sure of it? I'll give you my word, said Martin. The giant looked down upon Martin and ejaculated, <laughs> in a manner which might be interpreted to convey some doubt as to the value of Martin's word. However, even if Martin had been aware of this, he was not sensitive and would not have taken offense. Are you willing to take your oath that you will never reveal, under any circumstances, anything connected with our business? Yes, said Martin eagerly, his curiosity being greater than ever. There was a Bible on the table. 
Hayes cast his eyes in that direction, but first said something in a low voice to Smith. The latter drew a small brass key from his pocket and opened a cupboard or a small closet in the wall from which, considerably to Martin's alarm, he drew out a revolver and a knife. These he laid on the table beside the book. What's that for? asked Martin with an uneasy glance at the weapons. I'll tell you what it's for, my friend, said the giant. It's to show you what your fate will be if you ever reveal any of our secrets. Perhaps you don't want to take the risk of knowing what they are. If you don't, you can say so and go. But Martin did not want to go, and he did want to learn the secrets more than ever. I'm ready, he said. I'll take the oath. Very well. You understand now what it means. Put your hand on the book and repeat after me. I solemnly swear, on the penalty of death by pistol or knife, never to reveal any secret I may have imparted to me in this room. Martin repeated this formula, not without a certain shrinking, not to say creeping, of the flesh. Now that you have taken the oath, said Smith, we will tell you our secret. Yes, said Martin eagerly. The fact is, said Smith in a low voice, we are counterfeiters. You don't say so, ejaculated Martin. Yes, there's a light, genteel business for you. They are all ways of making a living, and that isn't the worst. Does it pay pretty well? asked Martin, getting interested. Yes, it's a money-making business, said Smith with a laugh, but there is a little prejudice against it, and so we have a very quiet place of business. Yes, I see, said Martin. You see, the world owes us a living, continued Smith, as you remarked this morning, and if it doesn't come in one way, it must in another. Isn't it dangerous? asked Martin. Not if it's carefully managed. What do you want me to do? Supply money to our agents chiefly. It won't do to have too many come to the house, for it might excite suspicion. You will come every morning, receive money and directions from one of us, and then do as you are bid. How much will you give me? What do you say to a hundred dollars a month? In good money, said Martin, his eyes sparkling with pleasure. No, of course not. In money of our manufacture. Martin's countenance fell. First thing I know, I'll be nabbed, he said. Not if you are careful. We'll give you instructions. Do you accept our terms? Yes, said Martin unhesitatingly. Of course, you take a risk. No gain without risk, you know. But if you are unlucky, remember your oath and don't betray us. If you do, you're a dead man within 24 hours from the time you leave the prison. There are 20 men bound by a solemn oath to revenge treachery by death. If you betray our secret, nothing can save you. Do you understand? Yes, said Martin, whose mind was suitably impressed with the absolute necessity of silence. The representations of his new friends might or might not be true, but, at all events, he believed them to be in earnest and their point was gained. When do you want me to begin? he asked. Today, but first, it will be necessary for you to be more decently dressed. These are all the clothes that I have, returned Martin. I have been unfortunate, and I haven't any money to buy good clothes with. Have we any clothes in the house that will fit this man? asked Smith of his confederate. I will go and see. The giant soon returned with a suit of clothing, not very fine or fashionable, but elegant compared with that which Martin now wore. I guess these will fit you, he said. Try them on. Martin made the change with alacrity and when it had been effected, surveyed himself in a mirror with considerable complacency. His temporary abstinence from liquor 
while at the island had improved his appearance, and the new suit gave him quite a respectable appearance. He had no objection to appearing respectable, provided it at were other people's expense. On the whole, he was in excellent spirits, and felt that at length his luck had turned, and he was on the high road to prosperity. End of chapter 13 Recording by Valentina Vicelli